Well, we are nearing the end of a one-year journey through the book of Luke on the man, the message, and the mission of Jesus. And it's going to end in an amazing fashion. I'm telling you, just beautiful. I think you know the story, uh, but don't miss next Sunday. But before we get there, it first has to get really, really ugly. And so today we kind of see the bottom of the barrel of human depravity. But listen, when Jesus sees this horrific ugliness, not once does his grace wince at it. Not once. And maybe today you've been slapped in the face by human depravity. Maybe some people have let you down. Maybe you feel like I've let myself down, I've let others down, I've let God down. I'm at a place where I never wanted to be. Well, good news, God's grace doesn't wince. Nothing can shock him. Have you read the Bible? He's seen a lot. <laughs> and maybe you're aware of your, your spiritual weakness and your, your inconsistency. But know this, God doesn't look and go, oh, I don't know about that one. That's shocking. Wow, that's bad. Now, you'll see today that God still has a plan for your life. He hasn't given up on you because that's what he does. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And so you feel weak, anybody? You feel like you've made a few mistakes in your life? You've let God down, you let others down? Well, listen, he loves to use the weak things of the world to confound the things that seem mighty and strong. And so I'm calling today's sermon Human Weakness. If you're a note taker, it's human weakness. And on this Palm Sunday, as Kevin led us, we're, we're, we're remembering the reality that Jesus came into Jerusalem at the beginning of Holy Week on this Sunday. And he came into Jerusalem and the crowds were, were singing, Hosanna, save us. And you're able to save us. And you're God and, and you're king. And, and, and they're expecting one who's going to lead militarily and politically. And they're cheering him on and they're worshiping him and we love you Jesus and yet today we also get to contrast that to just a few days later where we're at in Luke when people show just how weak they are just how depraved they are and they just bail on him the people who are singing his praises bail on him and so Luke chapter 22 31 through 62 is where we're going to pick up today uh, good Friday we'll cover the rest of chapter 22 we'll cover chapter 23 and everything that happens on uh, the cross and and so go ahead and head on over there 22 31 through 62 we have bibles around the room if you need one and you don't have one at home bring that home we've got the app as well and we've also got um, some scripture up on the screen for you so i'm a member of our local ymca and i know you uh were thinking wow he must work out well um (laughs) that's a joke preached on humility last week. And uh, I'm a member of the YMCA, and it might as well be a comedy club. I mean, really, I come home and I tell my wife just all these funny stories. It just, I, what I've done is I've, I've created some names for people so that when she goes, because we never get to go at the same time because one of us has to be back with the kids. And so when she goes, I said, did you see so-and-so? And uh, so we've got these names. So we've got the locker room politicians, which I really hope she never sees those guys because she should be in the girls' locker room. But in the guys' locker room, it's the guys who they sit in there and with the thickest Boston accent you could possibly imagine in their underwear, they're talking politics. And I'm thinking, go talk politics, you know, 
in the park or in Starbucks, but in here, you're going to hang out here for an hour and talk about politics, but that's what they do, and so, well, good for them. Uh, there's also the guys that, uh, I, this was before they renovated, now there's lots of TVs, but there used to be this one TV, and this guy, I called him TV guy, and I think he didn't have a TV at home, and so he just came and sat on the bench there and just watched, you got the membership for the TV, and I was doing the math, and I was thinking, I, prob- I bet you could probably get a TV for what a one-year membership would cost of your very own, and you can watch it anytime you want, and it doesn't smell in there, but that was TV guy. There's this other guy that I call him Cosmo guy. Uh, this guy's uh, no no disrespect, but just an older fella, and uh, he 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 lays out on the mats and he does the scissors with his legs for a long time while he's reading. I've ca- caught him reading Cosmopolitan magazine. I've caught him reading Seventeen magazine. I'm thinking Seventeen plus sixty three. I mean, and and he's he's going on, and uh, that's Cosmo guy. And then I I remember in college, specifically in college, the gym by my school. Uh, I had what we called the activewear models. And those were the girls who, you know, it's like they went to Old Navy and just bought out the, uh, you know, the activewear line. And it was just the, the gym was their, the runway, really. And I'm like, I don't even think they ever broke a sweat. You know, it's just I got good looking clothes on. I'm going to walk around and, and find me a man, you know. And so those are the activewear models. And no lie, there's this one guy, and I call him the grunter. And um, you, can, you can put it all together. But I think when he, when he first started showing up to the gym... As you can imagine, you know, he, he started grunting a lot when he was, he was lifting heavy weight. And, and within a few weeks, I, he must have had some complaints or something, because within a few weeks there was a sign posted on the wall, and it said, please be respectful of others. No loud noises, no cheers, no grunting. <laughs> and so that's the grunter. And then this might be my favorite. This guy is, I call him the chronic advice giver. And so I was, I was in the gym one time, and I, I, I first found this guy and he was he was giving advice to another guy about how he should be lifting weights and he went up to him and said no you're doing it all wrong and he wasn't really a you know what you would consider a gym rat I and mean, it was you know not super fit looking at least on the outside maybe he had a great cardio I don't know and uh, so he would go and he would say no 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 you're doing it all wrong yes you're lifting a lot of weight but you are doing it wrong and you have to isolate the muscles. And, I, and so then it happened again, and I was, I was in the gym, and this guy, you know, shows up, and he's in there. He, you know, sleeveless shirt, massive guns. He's lifting lots and lots of weight, clearly a gym rat. And chronic advice giver shows up as well and hangs out. And I said, no, he would not. And he did. You have to isolate the muscles. You were doing, I think his muscles are like four times the size of yours. He doesn't need to isolate anything. You need to isolate something. And that was, the, that was the chronic advice giver. I also heard him say, it's all about reps. Yeah, yeah, you can push up a lot of weight, but you got to get the reps in. And so that's chronic advice giver. And then I, there's one other type that I've noticed, and I'm sure there's more, and you can think of some and share them with me afterwards. We'll have a good time. But there's one other type, and I call them the flexors. I mean, have you seen the flexors where they, if there's a mirror, they cannot help it. They just, they just, and I understand some of you fellas, when you're at home and you're in the mirror and you're shaving and you kind of flex a little bit, the pectoral muscle dance thing, but, but if you're at the gym and you're flexing and you just don't, no shame, and I've caught people too, you know, where they'll flex at the gym and they're not, they're not the shameless kind. They think nobody's looking. Then I make that awkward eye contact and they go, oh, you know, but, but the, there's the flexors and they just, they, they flex and they get busted. Now, those, those guys are awesome. But before we read Luke 22, here, here's where I'm going with all of this, is, is spiritually we have to understand something. Spiritually, we have nothing to flex. 
Do you realize that? Like none of us brings hardly anything to the table in and of ourselves. We've got nothing to flex. James chapter 1 refers to the Bible as a mirror. It says the Bible is like a mirror. And it's one of those mirrors that when you look at it, it actually gives you a reality check. It's, it's a perfect mirror. Now, I hate trying on clothes. It's probably the closest thing to hell as I can imagine. I, I just hate it. Shopping, the whole deal. And so my wife will go shopping and she'll every now and again lay out a pair of clothes on the bed and, and say, there you go. And I, okay, that looks great. I'll, I'll wear that and I'll try it on. If it doesn't fit, she can take it back. But I just never go to never go, you know, to the dressing rooms. I just don't even hardly know that experience except from my childhood. My parents were making me put on Oshkosh Bagosh and try them on. I just hate it. I was scarred. And so my wife, she tells me, though, that in the dressing rooms, there are certain dressing rooms where the lighting and the mirrors just aren't flattering. Can anybody confirm that? She says there's certain dressing rooms. It's just not flattering. And I think, well, a mirror is a mirror is a mirror, right? Oh, no, 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 no. Apparently not. And so this mirror... What, what's interesting about this mirror is a mirror is a mirror is a mirror, but you look at it and at first it's not at all flattering. Like if you're reading the Bible and saying, wow, this, I'm awesome, you're reading it wrong. At first it's not very flattering. But what's so cool about the Bible is that as you continue to get into it and you start to see God's plan unfold for your life, it becomes flattering. You start to see who you can be in Jesus, but it starts with you've got nothing to flex. The Bible is, is really clear. Romans chapter 3:10. There is no one righteous. No, not one. I love that no, not one at the end. As if Paul is anticipating, you're gonna say, But but I am, I'm pretty good. Have you seen my performance? Have you seen how well I've lived my life? Do you see how holy I am? You see how many times I've gone to church in my life? You know I serve at the Rosendale Egg Hunt. I mean, you can just go on. The Bible says, no, not one, not even you. Nobody's righteous, right? The scriptures will go on to say all have sinned. Who has sinned? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Fall as in, not they had fallen, but they fall. They continue to fall. We're going to continue to mess up and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says that for those who have sinned, which is all, and no, not one is sinless. And so the wages of sin is Death, the Bible will tell us, Romans 6, 23. And so we all fall short. We all have nothing to flex, especially when held up against our standard, which is the glory of God. We've got nothing to flex. And so you have to hear it. No matter how good you think you are, you look at the mirror of God's word and you're not so great. You're beautiful. You're made in the image and likeness of God. But then we sin and we all sin and we all have nothing to flex, but the good news is as you continue to read, you start to see while wow, God has a plan that his compassion and his grace, it's endless. It's endless. He doesn't wince at your mistakes. He doesn't wince. He's not shocked anymore. And so what we get to look at for the next little while is a, a case study of spiritual weakness. When he sees it, he sees it at its worst. And how he then responds. And so let's look at it. Luke 22. And let's just jump in reading. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. 
Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Deny three times that you know me. Now, who is Jesus speaking to here? He's speaking to Peter. He's a leader among the disciples. I believe he's the oldest among the disciples because when it came time for Jesus to pay the temple tax, he only paid for himself and Peter. And the temple tax was for those who are 20 or older. So I believe all the 11 other disciples are teenagers. Peter's 20 or, or older along with Jesus. And so he's, he's the oldest disciple. He's a leader among the disciples. And, and notice how Jesus refers to him here right at the beginning. He chooses to use Peter's name from before he began to follow Jesus. He uses his pre-Christian name. He calls him Simon, Simon, Simon. Now, why is that? Because Peter is about to revert back to some behavior that you would have expected before he began following Jesus. Anybody ever feel like you struggle with that kind of stuff? Like, you know what, every now and again, or maybe frequently, I, I struggle with living the life that I, I should not be living, the kind of life I lived before I was following Jesus, and I struggle, and I, and I, I drift. And I got good news for you. What you're going to see here is that God, he doesn't bail on you when you bail on him. Just like there was nothing for you to do to earn God's favor, there's nothing that you can do to lose God's favor. It's all on him. It's all on his grace. It's all on his character, not your character. So yeah, you got nothing to flex, but you know what? He has a lot to flex. And so you can't lose it. And so he goes back to his old behavior and Jesus says, Simon, Simon, his birth name. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now let's think about what that means because what does it mean to sift wheat? Well, to sift wheat, You would toss it, you would shake it violently to get the chaff out, and then the chaff would would blow away. And Jesus is saying, Peter, Satan's about to mess with you. Peter, he's about to shake you violently. And some of you have been there, and some of you are there right now, and you know the feeling. Something's going on, and maybe Satan is is shaking you up. He's, He's sifting you. He's working you. Your marriage is being shaken, some of you. Your purity sexually is being shaken, some of you. Your freedom from some substances maybe is being shaken. Maybe your thought life is being shaken. Maybe your, your mind is being shaken. You've got all kinds of anxieties and, and you're battling de- depression. Or maybe just your, your faithfulness to God is being shaken. You're just, you're just being shaken. And yet Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And the but I in the original language is emphatic. Satan is going to try to mess with you. He's going to shake you a bit. But I, who am greater than he, I will not let that happen. Now some of you know the story. Wait a second. I mean, it does happen. I mean, he, does, he does fail. He does struggle. But he doesn't struggle completely. And so some of you feel like, man, I've gone as low as I can go. Well, you're still breathing. So there's a chance for you to not fail completely because you can't be too far gone for God. And that's exactly what is going to happen. Jesus is going to restore him. I prayed for you and I've got a plan for you and I'm going to bring you back. But first, as we're about to read, it's going to get really, really ugly. But let me just encourage you. I need to encourage myself as well. 
I preach to myself just as much as I preach to you. I preach to myself all week long, and then I come here because I got to stand before you with integrity. I got to preach this to myself, and I'm telling you, the ugly times make the good times beautiful. And so we need the ugly times. Don't despise the ugly times. You, you need them. And, and, and Peter really needed this moment. If he's going to go all over the world and preach about the grace of Jesus, he needs to know God's grace experientially. And he's about to know God's grace experientially. That's why Jesus says, verse 32, then you can come back, you can turn back, and then you can really strengthen your brothers. You can, you can strengthen brothers and sisters in Jesus because you've known the grace of God experientially. Experientially, You can teach people about grace. You can lead people to the gospel of grace because you have experienced it yourself. And that's what he's saying to some of you as well. You're in a rough spot, but trust me, by God's grace, you can turn back and you can use your experience. You think people around here who, who, who don't want Jesus in, in, in Boston, you think they, they want to listen to some squeaky clean Christian who's got no experience in the real world? No, they want you who can say, listen, I I have made some serious mistakes. But God has been good and God has been faithful and God took me back. And that's what Peter gets to say. So Peter first says, never, Jesus. I'll never do it. I'll never forsake you. They can send me to prison. They can kill me. I'll die with you. I will never forsake you. And Jesus says, oh, 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 Peter. He says, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. My old house in central Massachusetts, we were in the woods. We had bears coming in, and the neighbor down the road had roosters, and so I'd wake up to a rooster in the morning. He says, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. Not, oops, I slipped up, sorry. No, no, I actually do. Three times. One time, okay, mistake. Two times, wow, come on. Three times, you mean it. And three times he denies Jesus. Let's read on, verse 35. And he said to them, that's Jesus, When I sent you guys out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. In other words, I'm going to be up on the cross, me and those two guys beside me. I'm going to be numbered with those guys. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. It is enough. I think you've got the supplies that you need. So these verses show us that they're about to be violently shaken, just as he said. For those of you guys who were with us back uh, many chapters ago in the book of Luke, it's now been about a year and a half. You might remember when Jesus sent out the 12 and then he sent out the the, the 70, and he said, when you go out, I don't want you to bring anything with you. Remember that? He said, bring nothing with you. I'm going to provide for you. There's no knapsack, no money bag, no sword, all that stuff he just listed. Because he was preparing them, he was training them and teaching them to know that, that I got you. I got you covered. I got you taken care of. And he says, remember that, guys? He says, remember when, when you did that a few years back? He says, did you lack anything? And they said, no, nothing. We had everything. You provided through the hospitality of strangers. He says, it's going to get even worse. Nobody's going to want to show you hospitality because it might mean their head. That's how bad it's going to get. It's going to get rough. He says, so bring some supplies. I'm about to die. You're about to be violently shaken. 
But in God's grace, those moments of being violently shaken, whether it's your fault or it's not your fault, God loves to use it for your development. So don't despise those moments. Any trial, any failure in your life, maybe you're in it or you're through it, God loves to use those things for your good and for his glory and to bring other people to himself. He doesn't waste your life experiences. Now, here they are. Here here come the struggles. Here comes the the human weakness displayed. And so look at verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Man, nobody wants to be shaken violently, do we? Nobody wants that. Not even Jesus. But he says, but I'm going to do the will of God. And God, if this is what you have for me, cancer, if that's what you have for me, tumors, if that's what you have for me, move into a crazy place where I don't know people, if that's what you have for me, relationships breaking up, if that's what you're going to use, whatever. Nevertheless, not my will, not what I want, but what you want, God, that's what I'm going to do. Verse 43. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Do you know that you got angels strengthening you? You don't even know it. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you got your own little guardian angel. But apparently angels minister to us. They minister to Jesus. They minister to us. They, they lift you up and encourage you and help you. You don't even realize it. The Bible says sometimes we entertain angels unaware. We don't even know it. There's an angel ministering to him. Verse 44. In being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Do you do that when you're in agony? You pray more earnestly? Or does it make you just despise God? How could you let this happen and you drift from God? Those are, those are there to bring you closer to God, not away from God. Let it bring you closer to God. He prays more earnestly. And his sweat becomes like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So how is their weakness seen here? Well, Jesus brings them to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, to their spot. This was Jesus and his boys. It was their spot. It says to the place. Let's go to the place. You know the spot? Let's go. Judas knew the spot. That's why he was hanging out behind the scenes saying, guys, I I know where we we can go. We'll find Jesus and his boys here. That's where we'll arrest him under the cover of darkness and we'll get him taken out. They go to the spot. I had, I had the spot when I was in college. We had this, this one place where we go. We eat chicken wings and some of the richest spiritual growth in my life. Me and a few of my boys, we go to the spot and we'd have wings and we'd talk about Jesus and grow and pray together. It was, that was my spot. You got a spot? They had a spot. This was their spot. And they go there and they said, we're, we're going to spend some time in prayer here. We're, we're going to pray. And so I want you guys to go. And I want you to you hang out here and, and you pray. And the other gospel accounts tell us that he was there with his, his three closest guys, Peter, James, and, and John. For Peter, these are his pre-following Jesus, pre-dropping the nets, pre-leaving everything else. His fishing business partner guys, they're all together there. And they're there and Jesus says, you guys stop and pray. And I'm going to go a little farther, a stone's throw away. And he goes over and he's agonizing, as we read, with the Father in prayer. 
He's sweating great drops of blood, which is a medical condition that happens occasionally when people are under such great distress. He, he's under great distress. One, because of the pain that he's about to endure, but probably even more that for the first time in all of history, eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, there's a, there's a fracture there where God turns his face away because he can't look on sin, but Jesus takes on our sin on himself and he's in agony over that that's why he's going to say god why have you forsaken me it's for that moment god had to forsake him because he's taking his sin on him god looks away from him so that he can look at you and care for you and love you and exercise compassion on you and jesus is in prayer it says when he rose from prayer he comes back that stone's throw and how does he find the guys sleeping come on If you ever sleep through my sermon, I'm about to bring it to you right now. (laughs) Sleeping. The most intense moment of his earthly life. And in their weakness, they can't even support him. They can't even pray. They just fall asleep. The other gospel accounts uh, will give even more detail. And they will say that he says, come on guys, let's pray. And he goes back. He prays some more. And he comes back and he finds them. Sleeping again. Wakes him up. Let's pray. Remember we're praying right now? Oh yeah, yeah, sorry. Jesus. I was. I was, just, I was just blinking really long for five seconds. And, and he leaves and he goes to pray again. He comes back and yet again they're, they're sleeping. And then about that time, that's when the guards come and take Jesus away. Three times. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what Jesus is going through knowing that his father has to forsake him for a moment. And he can't even look to his guys right here on on earth. They seem to not even even care. They seem to not even care. Can you imagine what Jesus is going through at the expense of human weakness? And all of us have, have let God down. All of us have lived like we don't care. And yet what does he do for us? And yet even still, he displays his sacrificial love for us and that he dies for us and that's what he's going to continue to do he doesn't say all right well in that case they're the guards i'm going to run (laughs) in that case i'm going to stay here and i'm going to die for you because you're weak and i want to empower you by dying for you and then giving you my resurrection power keep reading verse 47 while he was still speaking there came a crowd the man called judas one of the 12 was leading them and he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said, Judas, you would betray the Son of Man with with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, have you come out as, as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me. Why is that? Because they were scared of people. But they're going to do it in the darkness here. That's why Judas had to kiss to even identify. They know what Jesus looked like. But Judas knew Jesus better. And so he had to give Jesus that that customary kiss. And he says, the one that I kiss, that's the one that you want to grab. It was dark. They were cowards. He says, you didn't lay hands on me then. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. In other words, this is the time. It was supposed to happen. 
I have a plan. I'm doing something. I'm about to display my strength. So they're sleeping on him, showing their weakness, and it gets even uglier. This angry mob walks up to their spot, led by Judas, the the disciple who sells him out for chump change. He's a coward. There's his weakness displayed. The mob arrests Jesus. They put him on trial. They're eventually going to crucify him, as we'll uh, contemplate on Good Friday. And these are the men who are supposed to be spiritual leaders among God's people, and yet they're just weak men threatened by the authority of people, scared of the people in the, the, the temple. And so they're sneaking around, seeking how they can conspire to, to kill Jesus in secret. Listen, let me tell you something. Even spiritual leaders are weak. I'm weak. Even spiritual leaders are weak. Do not put your faith in anybody other than Jesus. Don't put your faith in a man. Don't put your faith in that woman who discipled you. Don't put your faith in anybody other than Jesus alone. Too many times do I hear about Christians who their faith is shot. Why? Because they put their faith in some pastor or some leader. And when he does something dumb, as we all do, then you look and say, well, who am I? You're still a child of God. You put your faith in Jesus, not in anybody else. And so this spiritual leader, these, this group of spiritual leaders, they're, they're a bunch of boneheads too. Everybody's weak. Everybody's weak. Disciples are weak. Jesus' best friends of the, the 12 disciples, the three, they're weak. Judas is weak. The spiritual leaders are weak. The point is, we're all weak. We're all weak. You're weak. We need to know that. Humans are weak. Only Jesus is strong. Only Jesus is God who came into the flesh and displayed true strength. That though he lived a meek life, he was strong more than we could have possibly ever imagined. Jesus is strong. Humans are weak. Oh, but wait, there's Peter. Oh, I'm not weak. I got this, Jesus. I got this. I got you. Watch this. Pulls out a sword, right? Come on, Peter. He pulls out a sword what the other gospel accounts say here it just says it's the guy but the other gospel accounts tell us the guy was peter and he swings and he's not a good shot apparently but he swings at the servant of the high priest john chapter 18 tells us that it was peter and that the guy that he swung at his name was malchus and 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 jesus says come on peter put the sword away no more of this he then he takes his hand and puts it on malchus's ear and his ear is healed. Jesus is saying, listen, we're not going to live by the sword. My kingdom is not of this world. It's not military power in the midst of this presidential thing that we're in right now. It's wild, right? You're not putting your hope in the next president, are you? You're not putting your faith in the next president, are you? We put our faith in Jesus alone. He says, it's not by the sword. It's not by military, political might. It's by my might, says the Lord. Jesus says in John 18, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? He says, don't try to stop this, Peter. You need me to die. You need them to arrest me. I'm in control in all of this. And we just see all this human weakness. And yet in the midst of the weakness, Jesus is displaying strength like we can't even begin to imagine. I just have that picture of Jesus up on that cross and he's just, he's at the gym and he's just squatting. But he's squatting the weight of our sin on his shoulders. I mean, Jesus is strong even in what the world sees as a weak moment. Hop off the cross if you're God. 
He says, no, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. That's why I can hang on the cross and I can look down and not be angry and mad. I can say, God, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's why I can look over here and say, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's why when my disciples, are, they've all bailed on me except for one of them at the cross. I can, I can still come back and love them and care for them too. Because I know what I'm doing. I'm displaying strength. That's Jesus. Even in your weakness, Jesus is still dying for you. He died for you. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Let's read the final section of our passage for today. Where Peter just absolutely falls apart. The other gospel accounts will tell us that the other disciples, they just run for the hills. Peter, trying to be strong, trying to be brave, stays close by. Look at verse 54. and We'll just read through the end of our section here. And then they seized him, Jesus, and led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him, as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man was with him, for he too is a Galilean. He must have had an accent or something. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you were talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord, that's Jesus, turned and looked at Peter. And Peter, remembering the saying of the Lord, how he had said to them before the rooster crows, today you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Now this is gut-wrenching. As I said, it's just human depravity at its finest or worst, I don't know. Peter follows the mob who's bringing Jesus away, but he stays at a safe distance so that he too wouldn't be taken captive. And, And the mob brings Jesus to the high priest's house and then outside of the house in the courtyard while Jesus is being interrogated inside, a fire is kindled outside and, and, and maybe Peter's chilly or something, so he, he gets a little braver, gets up close to the fire, and he starts to warm up by the fire. And as the fire glows, it lights up his face. And this one girl, this little servant girl says, you were with Jesus. And Peter says, I don't know him, denial number one. A little while later, someone says, no, 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 you are one of his followers. He says, man, I don't know him, denial number two. And then an hour later, somebody says, I am absolutely certain. I can tell by your accent and what they're saying. You have been with Jesus. You're one of his Jesus followers. And, And he says, I don't know the man. The other gospel accounts say that he said it so emphatically that he, he, he called a curse down on himself. Maybe saying something like, may God send me to hell if I ever even knew the man. That's pretty emphatic. Three times, not one, oops, I slipped. Three times, I have no idea who this Jesus is. I do not follow Jesus. And then after that third denial happens, the rooster crows, just as Jesus said. And then we see from other gospel accounts that Jesus is led out of the trial. And as Jesus is led out of the trial, Peter denies, the rooster crows, and then it says that Jesus looks at Peter. They make eye contact. I mean, the timing is impeccable. 
And that look brought Peter so much emotion that it says that he wept bitterly, knowing that it happened just as you said, Jesus. And I, I thought I could be so strong. I thought I could resist the temptation. I thought I could do it on my own. I, I thought I could. Anybody? And he's broken. But it's a good lesson he's learning, isn't it? It's a really good lesson. And there's so much more to that look that happens here than just what we see on this page. I'm praying this morning as we round third base that that look would pierce your heart as well. That look from Jesus is an intense kind of look. Let me tell you about that look if I can. That, that word for look is the same word that is used the very first interaction that Peter and Jesus have together. Same, same word. In John chapter 1, just a few pages to your right, starts over with a new account of the life of Jesus. And, and Peter's brother Andrew has this amazing full day with Jesus before Jesus had appointed all the disciples. And so he's got a special day with Jesus. And, and it's amazing. And you just imagine, can you imagine having a whole day with Jesus? And it's, it's changing his life. And he runs and he says, I gotta go tell my brother and I've gotta get my brother and bring him to Jesus. Just like this week, you're gonna go get some people. You're gonna bring them to church, right? For Easter, you're going to bring him to Jesus. The invite, the power of the invite is huge. I'm going to go get my brother. I'm going to bring him to Jesus. And it says when he gets up to Jesus, Jesus looks at him. Jesus looks at Peter. It's the same word that's used here three years later. And it was that look. And it was so much more than just he saw him, he passing glance. The, the, the Greek language is really beautiful. And, and that word for, for look there means so much more than just he looked at him. It means he, he gazed intently at him. That he, he, he almost leaned in and, and he looked into him and he saw his soul and he, he knew him with careful, discerning eyes. He knew everything about him. And, and then Jesus speaks and he says what? You remember, he says, you are Simon. That was his birth name. You are Simon, son of John, but you shall be called Peter, Cephas, which means rock. But first he says, you are Simon. And back then, names preferably meant something about you. I wonder if any of you know what your name actually means. Some of you might know what your name actually means. Talk about it in your connection groups. But so often we just go with names that sound cool these days. I had some friends uh, that I, I knew years back, and they named their son Jean-Dre. I'm like, wow, are you French? They're like, no, it just sounded cool. Dr. Dre, Jean-Dre, I don't know. I'm like, really? You're going to do that to your child? And in those days, your name preferably meant something to you. And, and, and Simon, coming from Simeon in the Old Testament, you guys maybe know about, about Simeon, it kind of gave all this, off this, this connectedness to instability, this connectedness to, to, to vacillating, to, to kind of being wishy-washy. And by saying, yeah, you are Simon, he said, you are Simon. In other words, man, you got a name that fits you. That, that works. And if you know anything about Peter, that works, doesn't it? And that guy was wishy-washy. That guy was vacillating, walking on water. Where's his faith? Then it, it's gone and he starts to sink. Or one time Jesus says, who do they say that I am? And he says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And then a couple moments later, what does he do? 
he's rebuking Jesus for not being in control. Not knowing what he's doing, having bad plans. Or we just saw him right here. I will never deny you, Jesus. Jesus who? I don't know. I don't know Jesus. Wishy-washy. And yet at their very first meeting, before all of this, he has a name that probably describes who he's been up to this point. And Jesus looks deep into him and he says, you got a name that works. <laughs> that, that worked out really well. You're up and down. You're undecided. You don't know what you're living for. You don't know who you're living for. You don't know who you're going to be. You're just all over the map. He says, but listen, as he's looking at him, he says, but, but you shall be called Cephas, rock, stability. You see what Jesus just did there? He just did something beautiful. Something that parents you should do to your kids. Something that, that all of us should do to people in our lives who are down and out and discouraged and have no vision, have no hope for the future. You've got to speak it into them. You've got to acknowledge. You can't just have a compliment in your head. Wow, they're great. Tell them they're great. Encourage people. Be encouragers. Here's a place to encourage. Your neighborhood's a place to encourage. Your workplace is a place to encourage. Encourage. Share it. And what Jesus did, and, and not lie, but he saw some things. He saw into this guy and he said, yeah, he's, he's wishy-washy, but man, if I get a hold of that guy, He's going to be the, the rock. He says, I got a vision for your, your life. I'm a sucker for a good infomercial. Anybody? I'm so glad we have Netflix now because I don't have to watch infomercials anymore. But I, I would just scan through the channels and every now and again, if an infomercial was on, I would just find myself sucked into the infomercial and 30 minutes had gone by and my wife just walks into the room and says one word. Really? <laughs> that's all it is. Just, really, Josh? And that's, yeah. And, and the thing about the infomercial is the before and after pictures, right? Those, are, those work. And I'm, I'm not actually sure that it's the same person. You know, that's why they always chop off their head. It's like, belly shot. He says, here's a before and after. Yeah, yeah, that's you. But I want to give you a vision of the after when I get a hold of you. You're, you're weak, you're wishy-washy, but let me just show you who you're going to be. You're going to be rock. I've got a plan for your life. And I really think that was the moment that Jesus won his heart. Is he had somebody who looked into him and knew him and knew everything about him and yet still loved him, baggage, weakness, and all, and said, I still got a plan for you. I, I still think I can do something with this, this man. It's the same look from the beginning that we have here at the end, after he just failed miserably. And he looks at him. And I think what floods Peter's mind is so much more than just, yeah, just a little while ago Jesus said this, but the whole thing, how could I bail on him? And yet he's looking at me. He's not looking away from me, he's looking at me as he's led out of this trial. Maybe it comes back to his mind that Jesus said, you're going to strengthen your brothers. I, I still, I know what you're going to do. I know you're going to fail, but I still have a plan for you. You're going to know my grace even more now, experientially. So turn and strengthen your brothers. Turn and be strong. And I think he's saying that to all of us this morning. Get up, turn, be strong. I'm not done with you. I haven't given up on you. He hasn't. But here's the key. Here's the key. It's not just, 
I have a vision for your life. And here's some motivational words. Get off your tail and you can do it. Just do it. It's so much more than that. Because I could stand up here and cast vision to you about how you would be an awesome player in the NBA. And I believe in you and you can do it. And you could leave this room five foot one and charged up to be in the NBA. And you're not going to be in the NBA. I'm sorry. You don't have the, the ability, the height. You don't have the God-given resources. And see, what God does is he says, I got a vision for your life. I got a plan for your life. Oh, and I have the resources I'm going to give you. And the resource that you need is himself. It's, it's himself. He gives you the tools. If you flip over to the right, just a, a page or two, Luke chapter 24, verse 49. He comes back to life after dying on the cross. He appears to his disciples. And here's what he says. He says, I want you to stay. I want you to stay in the city Luke 24, 49, until you are clothed with power from on high. So it's not, I believe in you, just go do it. Vision, motivational words. It's, I believe in you, you're going to do it, but don't move yet. Stay put until you are clothed with my power from on high. All have sinned and fall short of the what? The glory of God. Colossians, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So it's not go do it. Go be awesome. I'm going to charge you out. Just do. He says, you got to wait. You need me. You need my power that I'm going to give you. You're weak, yes, but my power, you can do great things. My power will enable you to do great things. That's why you get into the book of Acts and what do the believers start to do? They pray, they stop and they pray and they just wait and they pray and they pray and they pray and they pray and then God's power comes and then they proclaim and do amazing things. But they didn't move until God's power. And some of you, I do not want you to leave today saying, I'm gonna, you're right, God believes in me, I'm gonna do it. That would be a mistake. It's God believes in you if he gets up inside of you. If you put faith in him and it's Christ in you that's your only hope of glory, not you motivated by some great sermon is your hope of glory. It's Christ in you is your hope of glory. So how about you? We have to respond to God's word. We all do. Hopefully you're encouraged that Christ is not looking at you today and wincing at your mistakes and at your weakness and saying, oh, wow, that is bad. But instead, he, his, his grace his eyes are just piercing and staring through it and say, yeah, not a problem for me. If they will humble themselves and they will trust in me, they can leave changed and they can leave empowered to do great things despite their own weakness. So we don't boast in ourselves. We boast, Paul says, only in Christ alone. I boast only in the cross. Pray that we would be that kind of people. But God is looking at you right now. And we have to respond. So would you close your eyes? Close your eyes so that we might respond to his word. Nothing real spiritual about closing your eyes. It's just a a chance for us to get distractions out of the way and, and think on him. Our Father, I pray that you would help us to see you. As you see us and you look at us with vision and plans, should we trust in you. 
And so God, help us to first see the mirror and see our weaknesses and be humbled. And then, Father, I pray that we would see the vision that you have for our lives, the mirror of which you show us who we can be with you within us. Or if there's anybody in here who doesn't know Jesus, may they call upon your name today, trust in you and be saved as they turn from self-sufficiency, which is weak and going to fail them, and turn to trusting what you've done for them and your strength displayed on the cross. May we as believers go and live lives empowered by you, not at our own strength. So forgive us for how we have trusted in self. Forgive us for how we have been so self-sufficient. And may we be Jesus strong. Holy Spirit strong. And you'll do great things in us, we believe it. You'll do great things through us, we believe it. And you'll spread the gospel, this amazing news to the ends of the earth, we believe it. I will be careful to give you all the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.